The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. Today in our middle segment, I'll be talking with author and investigative reporter Don Paley about her recently released book called Drug War Capitalism, about the prism in which we should view the drug war in Colombia and Mexico. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, the blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, how's it going, Heather? Uh, pretty good, actually. Uh, the USA Today ran an article about the Obama administration's proposed to, uh, plan to put an end to putting municipal bonds. It blew up on social media this last week. Uh, we talked about this back in February. Is it really USA Today or USA Last Month, or is the Obama administration really making a push so the newspapers keep covering this uh, loophole that should be filled? I'm, you know, I'm not sure what prompted USA Today to, to latch onto it now. Um, it was a piece that was in something called State Line, so it kind of it may have been something that somebody else was working on. And it got reprinted in, in USA Today. Did it have um, an infographic? But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, I think what grabbed everyone's attention wasn't so much the article itself, which was a, a pretty straightforward recounting of how Obama is trying to prevent stadium projects from using tax-exempt bonds, which is a fairly boring and convoluted tax break that stadiums get that probably amounts to, I don't know, like 20% of, uh, of the subsidies that uh, the stadiums get overall. Oh, I didn't realize um, it was that much. And is, and is it's significant because it's the, it's the big federal one, right? So it's the way in which it's, the federal government forces Red Sox fans to pay for a new Yankee stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think what, the, what got the attention was this headline they put on it, which was, um, is uh, Obama, um, I can't exactly what they said, uh, is, a, is Obama proposal the end of taxpayer subsidized sports stadiums? To which the answer, like all answers to all headlines that ask questions, is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they, you know, they, they put that there, I think, to get, to get attention and be clickbaity, and they, you know, got lots of clicks. But if you read the article, and certainly if you read any of the coverage, going back a couple of months, um, it's not going to put an end to anything. I mean, first of all, it's probably not going to pass Congress because pretty much nothing Obama is going to propose is going to pass Congress right now. Um, but, you know, it might get some traction with some more libertarian Republicans, and you could eventually see it leading to some kind of limitations on, on using federal tax-exempt bonds for stadiums eventually. But even then, you know, it's not going to make a, an enormous difference, right? It's yeah. going to it's going to make stadiums more expensive, right? You won't be able to get cheap cheap interest rate, as cheap interest rates if you're if you're uh, if you're you know by by fobbing off part of the cost to the federal government. But as we've seen before, more expensive stadiums haven't stopped teams and cities from building them, right? I mean, yeah. stadium costs have gone up a lot more than twenty percent over the last five years, let alone 10 to 20 years, um, and that hasn't really stopped subsidies. So, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice idea, and I hope it succeeds because federally tax-exempt bonds being used for stadiums is probably the stupidest subsidy out there in the sports world just because, again, the, uh, you know, the U.S. taxpayers as a whole don't have an interest in whether a team in some city has a new stadium or moves to another city or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's no point in the federal government, in the IRS, 
subsidizing the Sonics to move from Seattle to Oklahoma City. There's no point in the IRS subsidizing the Sonics to stay in Seattle versus Oklahoma City. So, um, you know, the, uh, the it, it would be a nice move, um, but I don't think it's going to put me or you or any of us out of business. You equate this to a speed bump. How big is this uh, speed bump? Is it something that will slow the car to 10 miles per hour or slow the car to 50, 45 miles per hour? Um, probably more like 45. I mean, we, we kind of don't know, right? Um, because we, 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 we don't know. It, it's going to depend on the this, on this particular circumstance. There are probably cases where, you know, an additional, say, $100 million in costs because the interest rates are higher would make it out of reach, um, you know, and, you know, a team would just give up on a new stadium project or renovate or, you know, not ask for one or, or reduce the number of bells and whistles, right, and say, okay, we don't actually need, you know, a billion-and-a-half-dollar stadium. Maybe we can settle for a billion-dollar stadium. Um, so that might happen in occasional cases, but I don't think it's going to happen a lot. I mean, I, again, I think just history has shown that, Interest rates overall going up and down hasn't really affected stadium projects. Um, projects getting more expensive because they're, you know, demanding giant scoreboards and all, you know, steakhouses and all the other things you have to put in the stadium now <laughs> hasn't changed uh, the, the, you know, the way the deals work. So I am not very optimistic that this is going to have a significant impact on anything other than team owners will probably have to put in a little bit more and cities will probably end up putting a little bit more, but at least federal taxpayers won't have to be paying it. Do you think that? Uh, yeah. Uh, do you think that President Obama will use the bully pulpit to try to get this loophole fixed, or do you think it will? Is this something kind of behind the scenes? I think USA Today was the bully pulpit. Um, <laughs> oh. you, you know, I mean, I, I, he's had two months, and he hasn't particularly, uh, uh, you know, made a whole big deal about it. This is kind of seems to be his style: is he's dropping a whole lot of little reforms here and there, and seeing which ones which ones catch on. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be shocked for him to say something about it at the beginning of baseball season or something like that if it seems like, you know, this is, uh, this is grabbing attention. Um, and, you know, the USA Today piece did grab some attention, so maybe he'll sit, look at it and say, hey, you know, I can, I can make a little hay on this. Yeah, um, mention it maybe after he... I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think this is going to be a big a big uh, a big fight that he's going to uh, going to take on or anything yeah. like that. I mean, the, the guy could, the guy didn't take on climate change. So <laughs> I don't think yeah. sports stadiums are really going to get on his agenda. I was just thinking of a, you know holding a press conference after he hold, you know throws out the first pitch in National Park or something like that. Yeah, that would be great. I think that would probably um, not go over really well with his host. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. he, might, he might face a sudden seat downgrade if that happened. Or, you know, it could be like the Tampa Bay Rays and just not invite him anymore. Yeah. He went with the mayor in Tampa Bay. Um, so, right. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in our mandatory NFL stadium update, the Los Angeles Federation of Labor is gathering signatures to try to force a public vote on the Inglewood Stadium. The main complaint is that there is no union jobs, plus there are no well long-paying uh, long-term jobs. Um, so is a recommit headed towards a community benefits agreement soon with this? Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen here. Um, I mean, just the fact that their their complaints about it are very narrow and very easily met. Um, yes, it would cost the stadium developers a little bit of money to guarantee union, you know long-term union jobs. Um, but given the amount you know of money that we're talking about at stake here, it's going to be a drop in the bucket. So yeah. I will be very very surprised 
if this referendum campaign, you know, goes on much longer than the time it takes to sit down and negotiate a community benefits agreement with the union. Well, if it's a community benefits agreement with a union, like I wouldn't, you know, it would be cool if the Airmark employees got like $16 an hour in health care and dental or, you know, it would be kind of cool if it was like a actual union negotiation with the stadium workers because there are no good paying jobs once the stadium is open. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it would be it would be a fine thing and all power to the union in, in trying to negotiate this. Um, and, you know, community benefits agreements can actually result in community benefits. You know, that's kind of the idea for them. But, um, you know, I don't think that this is going to be a major major speed bump, to use the uh, metaphor of the day, um, <laughs> for, the, for, 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 these, for the Inglewood Stadium. Yeah. Uh, a Georgia court threw out a challenge to the issuing of bonds for the new Falcon Stadium's uh, stadium, I should say. Um, the how do the citizens of Georgia organize to prevent the Georgia World Congress Authority from building a new Falcon Stadium again in another twenty years? Because it seems like they're kind of above the law at this point, and they have right. a you know they have a mandate and they have a tax funding source, and they can just do what they please at this point. Well, that's kind of what how what authorities were designed to do, yeah. right? I mean, they were invented, so far as I understand, by Robert Moses, the you know. The, like guy who ran effectively New York City government, unelected, completely unelected, but ran New York City government from like the 30s to the 60s um, because he realized, oh, hey, I've got all these bridges with tolls on them, right? And the bridges bring in toll money, and then the toll booths are supposed to go away when the bridges are paid off. What if I sell new bonds and use the toll money to pay off those bonds, and then when those bonds are about to be paid off, I sell new bonds on the tolls? I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. I have this funding source that no one could touch. And he did it. and <laughs> He got away with it for like, you know, 30 years. Um, so that's kind of what authorities are designed to do. I mean, you know, there's states have in various ways tried to rein them in. Um, and I guess if I were in Georgia right now, I would probably be pushing for some kind of, uh, uh, you know, authority reform to at least, you know, increase transparency and oversight and maybe require some kind of, you know, public votes on uh, on things or require them to get approval by legislature things in, you know, a more significant way than it is now. Um, but it's tough, you know. I mean, it's the same question that cities face all over the place, which is how do you stop teams from continually going back to the well when they know that they have elected officials in power who, or, or in this case, unelected officials, right? Um, who are you know going to give them whatever they want um, and you know I think ultimately unless you do something like David Mingy's old uh, plan in Congress to just tax you know have usury taxes uh, uh, not usury you know the uh, uh, extortionate taxes right on uh, on any any uh, uh, project that gets uh, that gets public subsidies so if the Falcons get a new stadium they would have to turn around and hand all that money to the IRS. Or you just create some kind of world um, where, you know, public officials know that if they try and hand out this money, they're going to have, like, people with torches outside their window. Yeah. I realize this is a fantasy world right now, <laughs> but I like to dream. You like to dream. <laughs> of torches. Yeah, torches. Um, so for some inexplicable reason, the MLS has rewarded a MLS expansion team to Minneapolis with the same catch that they deployed in Miami, which is build a taxpayer's soccer stadium first. 
Um, the state Senate Majority Leader noticed that parallel and stated, the league, quote, the league ran into this problem in Miami. They gave a franchise out two years ago, and they don't have a field to play on, so I don't know if they're going to make that mistake twice or if this group of owners is going to figure out how to make finance a $150 million stock receive or not. That made me that laugh. Line? Yeah, that is that is hysterically funny. And it's actually worse in Minnesota than in uh, than in Miami because in Miami they were asking for some public land and things like that, but not uh, not really for for straight up cash. Whereas it sounds like this Minnesota Minnesota United group, which includes the owners of the Twins and the Timberwolves, is preparing to actually ask for you know a bunch of money. So it's going to be more like the Orlando deal or the Las Vegas deal, right? Where um, um, you know they were threatening to take the team away if the if the stadium didn't come through, and then. It, Ultimately, wound up not giving them a team even when the stadium, you know, when the stadium did ha- uh, get approved. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I think given the track record of Minnesota, <laughs> That's the what I was over say. under on getting stadium subsidies approved is usually about ten years. Yeah, ten <laughs> to know? fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it took with the Twins and the Vikings. So, I mean, I think this is probably going to be, if they really want money, unless they think they can get something quickly through, like, well, it can't be the city, because the city has a cap on stadium spending. So it can't be the county. I don't know. I mean, I, I think they're really looking at a years-long battle. So then MLS is going to have to decide, do we really want to make them our 23rd team and then have a situation like DC United has gone through or like NYCFC is going through right now where they're playing in a temporary site, um, you know, a football or baseball stadium, and they're going to have to, you know, do that while trying to get a new stadium. Or do we just bump Minnesota to the back of the line again like Miami seems to be and just give the team to somebody else who's more willing to, to cough up a stadium? Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that the MLS strategy has going for the league, right, is if you don't care really where you put your new soccer team because anywhere you put a new soccer team, you're going to have a few like soccer diehards who are going to turn out and everybody else is going to say, Oh, Hey, soccer. What's that? <laughs> um, it, it, you know, when you're in that situation, then Miami, Minnesota, uh, uh, Las Vegas, Sacramento, who cares, you know, just find somebody who's willing to give you a stadium and say, okay, fine. You know, here's your, here's your team. We can always move them later. We own all the teams anyway. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how MLS responds to this. They seem to be kind of wavering on whether they want to give teams to cities because they think they're good cities for teams, or because they, you know, want to do it as rewards for how much uh, how much uh, they're subsidizing a stadium. And they're kind of going back and forth, but this will be this will be an interesting test. It will be an interesting test. Um, I will say that I was surprised that they got a uh, labor agreement done before the start of the season. The the owners seemed like they were dead set against free agency and bumping up the minimum pay at the MLS because there's very few stars that actually make the you know Clint Dempsey money. Most of them make about thirty two grand. Yeah, um, and I think it's going up to what is it like sixty four or sixty now. Yeah. Yeah, it's going up to a decent number. Um, you know, the the on the one hand, the players got that. Um, they got really limited free agency. I think you have to be 28 years old and have been on the same team for like seven or eight years, something like that. Um, so it's going to apply to very, very few players, and most of them are going to be towards the end of their careers anyway. Um, so it's, 
it's it, they got something. They didn't get a whole lot. Um, you know, increasing the minimum salary, even though there's a lot of players who are making the minimum, really, you know, is a drop in the bucket in terms of you know, it's, it's probably less than Clint Dempsey makes is <laughs> what it's going to cost yeah. the league. Yeah. Um, so it didn't really change the the uh, the really uh, unequal pay scale, right? The, the rich players are still getting lots of money, and the and the vast majority of players are still getting very very little. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess it's it's good that they that they got something, and they managed. You know, the union um, didn't completely get squashed. Um, I think this is going to be you know the first of of many battles down the road because as MLS gets more popular and keeps bringing in more money, you know the players know oh this is ridiculous that we're you know only having to take a tiny tiny share of the of the cash yeah. and eventually we're going to see the kind of real showdown between labor and management and soccer that we have in other sports. And it's not necessarily a bad thing if you start raising pay rates for players, you start bringing in better players. So it, it, the owners are not you know being forced into a situation where it's awful or anything. It's actually going to help the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous right now that you've got, you know, players from the U.S. going to Norway to play because they think they can make more money. Um, but, you know, I mean, we've seen elsewhere that, that leagues can survive that without, uh, without uh, you know, if that's the business model they want to take. I mean, you've got the WNBA right now. You've got Diana Taurasi playing, yeah. you know, sitting out the summer so that she can rest up for her team in Russia, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting way to run, you know, second tier, and I think MLS is still, you know, despite the fact that it's more popular, it's still not even any hockey, right? Um, and I think those kind of second tier or sort of 1A size sports leagues are interesting to watch because they, you know, they're managed very differently. Um, the league, the players have different levels of power. The fan bases react differently. I, I was kind of, I mean, as much as I'm an MLS fan, I was kind of curious to see what would happen if the league went on strike. You know, how would fans react? Um, you know, would it become a big issue in the sports press, or would everybody just forget that soccer ever existed in the U.S. in the first place? Um, but I don't know. We'll find out next time, whenever that is, five years from now. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about the epic history of soccer at Yankee Stadium. About the which? <laughs> the epic history of soccer at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I, I think we just discussed it. Um, <laughs> Did you miss it? Yeah, did um, you miss it? yeah. There was a piece uh, on uh, a website leading up to the first game at the new Yankee Stadium, talking about soccer's long history there, which at least acknowledged that the stadium has only been there since 2009. Right? It didn't pretend that the old Yankee Stadium is the same stadium as the new one, just because they have the same name and we're across the street from each other. Um, but yeah, they're like, yeah, and there's been some friendlies there, and Pele played at the old one some, and <laughs> you know they're trying to put a good face on the fact that that uh, this team is being forced to play in a in a baseball stadium, and not even a baseball stadium that's particularly well laid out for soccer, I have to say. Um, but you know, I mean, it's still you can still go see a game there, and it's still a. a brand new stadium and you've got all the you know amenities and concession stands and things like that and you know it's it's i would rather go see a game at red bull arena um but we're going to go see some games in the Yankee stadium this year oh cool the nyc fc yeah awesome. I mean, that would be a look great in the opening game and um it's rare that we get to see an actual good play in mls <laughs> yeah. you know Thierry Henry's gone now so um, so yeah, we'll we'll check it out. I'll I'll report back on uh, on how it feels and whether. I mean, 
part of me hopes that it's a great success, right? Because if you prove that soccer teams can play in baseball stadiums, then we don't need all these stupid soccer stadiums to have to be built. Yeah, exactly. Um, my guest has been Neil DeMoss. He runs fieldofschemes.com. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Sure thing. Talk next week. Okay, this is, of course, the Heather McCoy Show. I'll be back with Don uh, Paley, the author of Drug War Capitalism.